Um, before I get into our message, we're talking about the foolishness of God in this Advent season. Before I get into that, uh, for the other services, wanted to uh, celebrate that there's like a new addition to our New Life family, new addition to the Scazzaro family, uh, and so Pete and Jerry became grandparents about two weeks ago, and so... And so there's like, a, after every service has been a receiving line, Pete's been loving it. Uh, so getting the hugs and the kisses. So their granddaughter, June. Um, so just wonderful, just wonderful. Christ, uh, Christy, Christodos, if you know Christy, their second oldest uh, daughter there. So congratulations to you guys here. Um, if you have a Bible, go with Luke chapter 2. We are in a series talking about the foolishness of God. Uh, and last week I mentioned that Foolishness in Scripture is seen in two different ways. The first way is seen in the book of Proverbs to describe someone who rejects wisdom. And as a result, they go down the road of destruction and the way of judgment. And so that's one way of seeing someone as foolish. But there's another way of seeing someone as foolish. That is God. That God is seen in the Scriptures as being foolish. But in this sense of God being foolish is different. When, when Paul writes about God being foolish, he's talking about the foolishness of God being the countercultural, counterintuitive way that leads to life but often confounds the wisdom of the world. So last week we talked about the foolishness of weakness in an aggressive culture. Today we're going to talk about the foolishness of waiting. And that's what Advent is really about. It's about waiting. And so let's pray. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to open our eyes as we look at this passage today in Luke chapter Father, I pray, uh, thank you for all the baptisms today and the signs of life and new life that are taking place in our congregation. And Lord, I pray now that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts, that we would receive every good gift you have for us this afternoon. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. If there's anything that unites our experience as human beings, it is that all of us will have to wait. No matter who you are, you're going to have to wait. No matter how rich or poor you are, you're going to have to wait. No matter how young or how old you are, you're going to have to wait. No matter how educated or uneducated you are, you're going to have to wait. Whether you've been a Christian for one year or a Christian for 40 years, you are going to have to wait. The painful thing about waiting is that waiting reminds you and reminds me that we are not in control. Whenever you have to wait for a train to come to get to work, you realize you're not in control. Whenever you have to wait for your spouse to get out of the house to come to church, you realize that you're not in control. When you tell your child to do something and it takes them forever to do it, you might threaten them trying to be in control, but you know for a fact that you are not in control. We are called and we know what it's like to wait for something or wait for someone. And we know what it's like for that something or someone not to come. And we know what it's like for God not to come. We know what it's like to say that God is coming, but God not seem to be coming. It reminds me of a daily occurrence in our home. In our home, a few times a day, I tell my daughter, Karis, I scream from the other side of our home and say, Karis, come over here. And she says, I'm coming. 
And usually when she says I'm coming, it means nothing. <laughs> it means I'll be there whenever I want to get there. And I confess, um, she is my daughter, so she got it for me. You know, my daughter, my wife says, Rick, I need you to come over here. I said, I'm coming. Um, after I watch this game, after a commercial comes, after, and then I come. And often, doesn't it seem that way with God? That God says, I'm coming. We say, God, come. God says, I'm coming. But often, we do not know how and when God will come. God says he comes, but we often don't know what that means. And so we are invited in the season of Advent to wait. And waiting is a foolish thing for the world, especially waiting for God. The world says you can't see God. Why are you going to wait? The world says you can't touch God. Why are you going to wait? And yet, this is the foolishness of God that Christians are called to wait. In today's passage, we see a man who's been waiting for a very long time his name is Simeon. We learn of his story in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Interestingly, the Lord is being presented to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It, was, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people, Israel. Most of the Bible is written in the context of a people who are waiting. When God creates, he creates Adam and Eve, and as the story of Genesis proceeds, we see in Genesis 12 that he calls a man named Abram and his wife Sarah. And he says, you are going to be the father and mother of many nations, but decades have passed of them waiting before the promise comes to pass. They had to wait. When you look forward in the scriptures, you see in the book of Exodus that the people of God go into slavery and in Egypt, and they wait for not decades like Abraham did. They had to wait for centuries to be delivered. The people of God had to wait. Later on, when they get rescued, after they are rescued, they have to go into the wilderness, but it takes them another 40 years waiting in the wilderness before they hit the promised land. Again, we see the story that the people of God had to wait. They build a kingdom in David and with Solomon, things seem to be going right, but then from that point on, the kingdom is overturned, the kingdom is invaded, and they go into exile, and they have to stay in exile for a number of years waiting. They enter back into their land after a while of being in exile. And when we pick up in our chapter, although they were back into their land, things were not restored 
they're still waiting. They're longing for God in this passage in Luke where we pick up in the Gospels. They're looking for God to restore not just their fortunes as the people of God and the promises, but they're looking for God to restore everything that is wrong with the world to set it right. Whatever is broken, they're longing and waiting for God to make it right. And so they, they are faced with their brokenness. They're faced with the world's brokenness and they can't do anything about it. Why? Because they're waiting for God to come to set it right. When I was a teenager, uh, 14 and 15 years old, I broke my wrist on two successive years in the month of September, playing football and playing basketball. Since that point, I haven't played any sports in the month of September uh, for the last bunch of years. But the two times I broke my hand, I fell on the floor and the ground, and my wrist was just mangled on both years. And my father rushed me the first time, the ambulance rushed me the second time, and I got into the hospital. The problem was I went into Kings County Hospital. <laughs> Not sure if you're familiar with Brooklyn, but Kings County Hospital uh, is different, okay? And so I went into the hospital with a mangled wrist and broken arm, and the doctor would say, we're coming for you next. The problem was, it was in Kings County Hospital, which meant that a broken arm is nothing in that neighborhood. People shot in the neighborhood. People coming in shot, and next person, and next person. And after a while, I realized, this, I could just go home. I'm all right. I'm just, I'm just, I'm in a pretty good place, relatively speaking. And so I waited with this brokenness for hours with a broken hand in the waiting room until the doctor would set my arm, my wrist straight. It's almost like this is what the people of God are experiencing. They have their brokenness right before their eyes, and they're waiting for the doctor to call them in to set their situation right. And so they had to wait. And the best example of waiting is found in this old man named Simeon. When we pick up in our text, Jesus has been born and he's brought to the temple to be circumcised, which was part of Jewish religion and culture. And Jesus is circumcised and afterwards they're brought to the temple to have a baby dedication service to present the firstborn before the Lord. And when they get to the temple, they encounter a man named Simeon who is waiting for them. And if you could summarize this man, Simeon, in one word, it would be waiting. Maybe many of you can identify with that, that if you were to, uh, someone to identify you in one word, maybe your word is, I'm waiting. Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. And so uh, some traditions say he's 100 years old, but while the Bible doesn't give his age, it is quite clear that he's been waiting for a very long time. And the moment Mary comes in with Joseph and Jesus, he sees the baby, and he can't believe the, the day that he's been waiting for for decades has finally come. And he takes Jesus in his arms and says these beautiful words, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. After decades, finally he sees the consolation of Israel. What's interesting and ironic about Simeon is his name. His name means God has heard. But could you imagine him through the years? Could you imagine him through the decades? 
How is it that his name is God has heard, but it seems like God is deaf? What happens when your name something, but your story tells a different story? In high school, there was a, a, a girl named Paz in high school. Her name was Peace, and she was anything but peaceful. <laughs> fighting all over the place. What happens when your name one thing, but your life tells a different story? This is Simeon. God has heard, but God for many years seems to be deaf. Simeon is waiting for a long time, and many of us have been in a similar place. All of us in this room, we're all waiting for something. And when that something comes, we'll be waiting for another thing. Life, as it were, is a series of waits. On and on and on it goes. What are you waiting for today? I want you to hold that in your heart. What is that thing you are waiting for? Something that maybe is at the core of who you are, something that's been bothering you, something that's causing anxiety and worry. What are you waiting for? The reality is that we will go from one thing to the next waiting. Some of us are waiting to get into a school. Some of us are waiting to get out of school. Some of us are waiting to get a job. Some of us are waiting to get out of a job. Some of us are waiting to get married. Some of us are waiting to get unmarried. Some of us are waiting to get children. Some of us are waiting to get rid of our children. At one point or another, we will all have to wait. And the waiting is not just individual and not just personal. We wait as a community together. We wait as a world together. We long for war to come to an end. We wait for poverty to be eradicated. We wait for racism to be overcome and dispelled. We wait for the problems of our world to dissipate. We wait, in short, for things to be made right. And when we wait, there are two things that are taking place in our waiting. Number one is what we are waiting for. That's, that's the thing that's taking place. We're waiting for something. But what we often miss in our waiting is what God is looking to form in us as we wait. And so I would say that what God does in you as you wait is just as important, perhaps more important as what you are waiting for. What God does in us as we wait is just as important, perhaps more important than what you are waiting for. And so the problem with our waiting is not just that the thing that we're waiting for has not come. The problem with our waiting is that we have not allowed our waiting to transform us. We have not allowed God to transform us in our waiting. And so Advent is about teaching us, training us how to wait well. And what we see in this passage here is that while Simeon is waiting, God is working. Our waiting is ultimately to expand our souls, to enlarge our souls. And this is what we see with Simeon. We see a man who's attuned to God, even though he's been waiting for a long time. As he's waiting... God is working. I love that it says that although he's been waiting for a long time, Simeon is sensitive enough to be moved by the Spirit. 
In verse 27, this has become one of my favorite Advent texts. It says, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And it's one of my favorite verses because notice, for all of these years, he could have become resentful. For all of these years, he could have received a hard heart. For all of these years, he could have said later for God. For all of these years, he could have been callous and followed his own way. But even though he's waiting all of these years, Simeon is moved by the Spirit and goes into the temple courts. Luke mentions these wonderful qualities about this man who's been waiting a long time. It says that he, the Spirit is on him. It says that he's devout. It says that he's righteous. It says he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. You can say that he's all these things because he's been trained in waiting. And Simeon is a man in loving union with God, sensitive to the movement of the Holy Spirit. And what we see in Simeon is what God wants to produce in us. He's patient, maybe because he knows that God is working. And so as Simeon was waiting, God is moving. And what we ought to be reminded in this passage is that although we cannot see it, God is active. Although we cannot touch it, God is moving. This is why we gather as a church on a Sunday over and over again to be reminded of, of this one thing, that Jesus Christ is alive. And because he is alive, he's moving. Because he is alive, he's active. Because he's alive, he's in perpetual motion. Now, Monday through Saturday, it might not feel like that. We might not be able to see how God is moving or if God is moving. But when we gather on Sundays, we are reminded that God is indeed moving because he is the resurrected one. When we look in our world and the global society, it seems like God is not moving. It seems like God is not active. When you look at the news, it seems as if God is nowhere to be found. But when we gather on Sundays, we are given a different framework. We're giving a new set of eyes. We're giving a new way to see life because the world and stations are not going to cover how God is moving. And if you allow yourself, you will allow them to shape the story and the narrative of our entire lives. But Fox News and CNN does not tell the entire story. Amen to that. It is God who tells the story. And so when we get here on Sunday, although the news might not say God is working, we gather to say God is moving. God is alive. God is active. He is a resurrected one. And because he is alive, we will wait. Because he's moving, we will be patient. We gather on Sunday, we hear a different story. We hear a different reality. We hear a different truth. The world might say darkness is winning, but we gather on Sundays to go, to be reminded that it is the light that is winning because Jesus is alive. And so in our waiting, God does something in us. He enlarges us, expands our soul. This is what Romans 8 says in the message translation. I love it. It says, waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy. During our waiting, um, we don't typically ask, God, what are you forming in me? 
usually we're asking God, why is this taking so long? And actually, we get very grumpy in our waiting, get very irritable in our waiting, get very impatient in our waiting. And so when Advent comes, something very interesting is happening. There's this paradox of Advent. The paradox is, it's not just the people of God who are waiting on God. What we, are see, what we see in Advent is, it is also God waiting on the people of God, waiting for us to turn to him waiting for us to align our hearts to him, waiting for us to open our minds and hearts to his coming. And so if Simeon were here today, he probably would say to us, he'd say, don't waste your wait. Don't waste your wait. Why? Because God is doing something in you as you are waiting. And so what does it mean to wait for God? What does it mean to wait in this foolish kind of way? Simeon shows us. And I want to show you just a couple of invitations of waiting. The first thing we see in Simeon's life is we see this notion that Simeon knows how to abide. As he's waiting, he abides. We see a man who, even though he's been disappointed through the years because the consolation of Israel has not come, we see a man who sticks with God even when everything inside of him wants to run. In his waiting, his eyes remain fixed on God. And what I love about Simeon is very simple. Every day, he shows up. Every day, he does his task. Every day, he keeps showing up. When he did not feel like coming, he showed up anyway. When he felt like coming, he showed up. And, and often what happens in our lives in our waiting is we allow our feelings to dictate whether we come to God or not. And so waiting on the Lord often means showing up when you don't feel like it. This is the importance of ritual in the best sense of the word, that we all need ritual in our lives to keep us anchored when everything inside of us wants to go. Why do we gather on Sunday morning? Because it's part of a ritual, a good ritual. Why do we take communion? It's part of a ritual. Why do we read scripture? It's a ritual. Why do we come to small group? It's a ritual. It carries you even when you don't want to be there. Why do we sing songs when you don't feel it? Because the ritual is to carry you in the moments when you don't feel like it. And so Simeon is a man who abides in God. Whether he felt like it or not, he showed up. And I love that. Most of the time, we show up, let's say in prayer, when we feel like praying. When we feel, and you know, there are days where you wake up and you just feel like praying. Pray. Maybe it's payday or it's payday comes. It's like, oh, this is, I feel, I want to pray today. This feels awesome. And maybe you feel like praying on payday. But what happens when it's not payday? What happens when you don't feel like praying? And often what happens is we don't pray when we don't feel like praying. And what we have not learned is this notion of what Ronald Rollheiser said, what prayer is. How do we abide? Prayer very simply is this, that we lift mind and heart to God. That's what prayer is, lifting mind and heart to God. Lifting what part of our minds and heart to God? Every part of your mind and heart to God. When you're feeling good, you lift up joy to God. And most of the time we're trained to just do that. Whenever I want to praise, I'll lift up my praise. 
Whenever I'm going to worship, I lift up my worship. But what happens when you don't feel like praising God? What happens when you are bored with prayer? Often we don't pray, but what Simeon does, and he invites us to is, is whenever we don't feel like praying, we lift up the fact that we don't feel like praying. And when you lift up the fact that you don't feel like praying to God, you are in essence praying. When you say, God, I don't want to pray at all. This is awful. You know what you're doing? Pray. Lord, this is boring. This is the worst thing. You know what you're doing? Praying is lifting mind and heart to God. When you feel like praying and you feel joyful, you pray your joy. When you feel lust coming inside of you, what good prayers do is you lift up your lust. That's how you abide. Whatever is inside of you, you offer to God. Now, most of the time we say, well, God can't take my lust. You know, like God, he's, he's, he's not, he cannot take my lust. He cannot take my greed. He cannot take my boredom. And we got the wrong image of who God is. That God could take all of that. If you're bored, lift up your boredom. If you're angry, lift up your anger. If you're sad, lift up your sadness. If you're lustful, lift up your lust. If you're happy, lift up your joy. If you're grateful, lift up your gratitude. That's what it means to abide. That whether you feel like it or not, you will remain rooted in God. This is what Simeon does. Day after day, he comes back to God, whether he felt like it or whether he didn't. And when he shows up, God surprises him. Imagine if Simeon said, you know what? I've been waiting 100 years later for this. I'm not coming in today. I'm calling out. I'm calling out. And he would have missed the surprising visitation of God. But he comes anyway. Simeon abides. And the invitation as you're waiting is to stick with God even though you don't feel it. Simeon also invites us to not just abide. He invites us to be prudent. To be prudent. We're prudent in our waiting. For 100 years, Simeon, uh, surely there were false messiahs that came. And he never aligned his heart and impulsively his allegiance to the false messiahs that would come. How often could he just impulsively say, the God, this God is not going to come. I better find somebody else. But he doesn't. He's not impulsive. He's prudent. He gives thought to his ways. In his waiting, he could make a decision at that moment just impulsive, but he, he waits. He doesn't rush into it. He waits until he knows it's God, that he gets this consolation. And how often have we impulsively made decisions because we could not bear to wait? I wonder how many times we have made romantic, impulsive decisions, knowing that this is not the person God has to me, but I, I'm just lonely. This will have to do. How many times have we made impulsive financial decisions? How many times have we made impulsive decisions to address a problem without getting all the data and waiting? And say, so I'm going to fix this problem without getting all the information. Simeon is prudent. Simeon is patient. And what we wrestle with is impatience. It was Tertullian, the church father, who said that uh, impatience, as it were, was probably the original sin in the eyes of the Lord. He said, to put it in a nutshell, every sin is to be traced back to impatience. 
But Simeon is patient. He's prudent. He's thoughtful. He doesn't align his heart and attach his heart to these false messiahs that came. He's prudent. He abides. He's prudent. But what we also see with Simeon is that he has a discerning heart as well. He's discerning. He's alert. And whenever we are waiting, we must be, uh, remember that God is working. And so the, the, our task is to discern how God is moving, how God is active. And so uh, as Henry Nouwen would say, we, the way we wait, we don't wait like we would for a bus to come. We don't wait for the rain to stop. That's not how we wait, spiritually speaking. That's passive waiting. Nowen says we are to wait with an active kind of waiting. How are we actively waiting? We're actively waiting by discerning and searching for glimpses of his presence, even in the midst of our waiting. That's active waiting. It's not that we're doing nothing and twiddling our fingers. It is that we are actively seeking out the divine and the traces and glimpses of how he is active. Why? Because Jesus is always active and Jesus is always moving. And so Simeon is alert to this reality that if God is moving, I better have eyes to see it. This is why in the morning, what if we woke up every morning like Simeon is moved by the Spirit? Lord, I want to be moved by the Spirit today. What if that was our prayer every single morning this week? Lord, move me by your Spirit. See, let me see what you want me to see. I can't see it with my natural eyes. And some of you say, Pastor Reggie, I can't see anything. And that's, that's the case. We walk by faith and not by sight. And so to see the way that what God wants us to see, we need a different set of eyes. We need his eyes. Lord, move us by your spirit. That's how we should be waking up in the morning. Move us by your spirit. And so Simeon abides in God. He sticks with him even when his feelings say, get out of here. He's prudent. He doesn't impulsively make decisions. He's prudent. He's thoughtful. He's seeing the big picture. He's discerning. He's searching for glimpses of God's presence in the midst of his waiting. And lastly, what Simeon needed in this moment is he needed community. He needed community. Simeon did not wait alone. Later on in the passage, it says, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. And she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Now, we don't know the extent of Simeon and Anna's relationship, but we do know that they waited together. And if we're going to wait the way God calls us to wait, you can't wait alone. This is why we gather on Sunday to wait together for the Lord's coming. When we study scripture and meet with people and share meals, we're waiting together. When we pray with one another, we are waiting together. We need people to wait with us. As you're waiting for God's consolation and intervention, you need people to wait. You cannot wait alone. We need each other. Now, here's the good news of Advent. The good news of Advent is... Uh, the fact that many of us, listen, we're, we don't wait like Simeon. We're not patient, and we just don't. But here's the good news of Advent. The good news of Advent is even 
when we don't wait faithfully, God is faithful in his coming. Even when we do not wait faithfully, God is faithful in his coming. God will come. The invitation for us is to ask for eyes to see. He's going to come in ways you might not anticipate. But Lord, give me eyes to see. He's going to come at a time frame that you're not anticipating. But Lord, give me eyes to see. He's going to come in ways that might surprise you. But Lord, give us eyes to see. And so we see that Advent is not just about us waiting for God. It's also about God waiting for us. And today God is waiting for you. God is waiting for you to turn back to him. And some of you maybe you've impulsively made decisions and patiently run off and done your own thing. But we gather together as the people of God, as the family of God, as followers of Jesus, to turn back to him. God is waiting for you. Because what God does in you as you wait is just as important, perhaps more important, as what you are waiting for. Amen. Let me invite you to close your eyes. I want to invite the worship team to come forward and the folks who are going to offer communion to come to the tables. I want to give you a moment to turn back to God. The reality is, on a weekly basis, we stray, we go our own way, we're impatient, we're impulsive, we're grumpy, we're angry, we got attitudes. And on Sunday, we are reminded of the generosity of God who invites us to turn back to him. So that's what we're going to do right now. I want to give you a moment to offer your own repentance and confession before God of all the ways that you have not waited to say, Lord, I'm, I'm fixing my eyes on you. I'm turning back to you. And so take a moment to do that, and then we'll pray a prayer of confession together, and then we'll take communion. Let me give you a few moments to offer your own confession and repentance before God. Let's all stand together. Let's pray that prayer of confession on the screen together. And after we pray this prayer, the ushers will lead you to take bread and dip it in the cup. This is Jesus' is reminder to say, I'm with you. I'm for you. My body was broken for you and poured out for you. And you can come and take it, go back to your seat, and I'll come back up here, and I'll lead us to take it together. Let's pray this together. Almighty God. My heavenly Father, I have sinned against you through my own fault, in thought, in word, in deed, in what I have done, and what I have left undone. 
the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive me all my offenses and grant that I may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. Please come forward. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's all share it together. coming. He's active right now. And so, Lord, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Give us a heart to receive. So whatever need you have, whether you're coming back to God, whether you're repenting, whether you need strength, whatever it is, we would love to pray for you. And for those of you that are uh, staying for uh, the rest of the marriage retreat, I want to pray a special prayer for you as well. God would touch you, touch your, your relationships, your marriages, your families. So let me pray for that first, and now I'll bless you all. Lord, for those that are sticking around, I pray that we would see many breakthroughs today, breakthroughs of love, joy, and forgiveness, and peace. Pray for every couple that's staying for this retreat. Would there be breakthroughs? Touch lives, restore, renew, resurrect. We believe that you are alive and active. And so touch every person and couple that remains. Let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. With your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, waiting patiently on the Lord. May you have an active waiting, discerning his presence because he's here. May you have ears to hear his voice, eyes to see his movements, a heart to receive everything he has for you. And may you be a gift to the world around you this week. So I bless you today in the strong and the beautiful, in the present name of Jesus. And everyone said,